As you prepare for retirement, you'll be faced with many important choices. We want you to make the right ones. Welcome to Financial Choices Matter with Charles Scott. Charles is an accredited investment fiduciary. He's well-equipped to help you make sound financial decisions. We want you to experience a meaningful retirement. On our podcast, we believe financial choices matter. Hey, everybody. Welcome into the podcast. Thanks for hanging out with Charles and I here on Financial Choices Matter. Uh, we got a lot of content we're going to jam in here over the next couple of podcasts, actually. So we're going to get rocking and rolling. Charles, buddy, what's going on? I hear you laughing hey, there. Uh, well, I'm, you're funny, Mark. I can't help it sometimes. Uh, um, should I go uh, Joe Pesci on you? Like, what? funny how? Like, am I a clown? Uh, yeah. Like, do I amuse you? Like, <laughs> No, no, you don't. Not really. You doing yeah, all right? I could say, yeah, yeah, we're fine. Good. Spring is here. It's great. It was hot last week. That was nice. Um, it rained yesterday. That makes it even better. So okay, nice. Now Very it's good. now it's not raining. So yeah, I guess rain's <laughs> a premium there, right? You know. Uh-huh. So. Yeah, okay. which is which is fine. It's nice when it comes. And having moved here a long time ago from Seattle, I don't miss it much. Oh, well, yeah. You went from a lot of rain to very little yeah. rain, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. I grew up in a small town in Western Washington where it rained between 75 and 80 inches a year. And I don't miss it. That's a lot of rain. That's a lot of rain. That's a lot of rain. Well, we got a lot to cover. So let's yes, jump in do. and talk let's about go. some of this. Yeah, we've got, uh, we're going to talk about a few financial terms, a little bit of jargon. We're going to toss some things out there. People might want to talk about these definitions. There's a lot of these, you know, things popping up here recently, and we've got some common housing questions for retirees as well, uh, because the Fed uh, just earlier this week, at the time we're taping this, Charles, they ticked up the rate uh, 25 basis points. So supposedly they're going to tick them up six to seven more times this year, maybe even two to three more next year, depending on what happens. So that might fit right into the conversation as well. So uh, let's get rocking and rolling with a couple of things. Let's start with some jargon. Uh, fiduciary, we've talked about this before, but yes. you are a fiduciary. What is that? Yes. I'm being a fiduciary. I'm an accredited investment fiduciary. I was the third person in the state of Arizona to earn that designation. There, I have to do what's in your best interest. I can't do something that's in my best interest if it's not in your best interest. I mean, just helping somebody is in my best interest because we get to help somebody. That's why we do what we do. But if it's not the best for you, but it might pay me more, then mm-hmm. I can't do it. I mean, I, I guess I could, but then I'm violating my oath of being a fiduciary. And not every advisor, not every stockbroker, not every financial planner is truly a fiduciary. And I think it's it's a fair question to ask somebody, are you acting as a fiduciary? Are you always going to do what's in my best interest? And as I've said before, if, you, if they hem and haw around the answer, then they're not one. And that's been my experience. So, I mean, it's just a point blank. Yeah, I am or no, I'm not. There is no middle ground. Gotcha. Gotcha. And and so it's something that, you know, if you're working with a professional, I, I, again, it seems like silly, but to me, it seems kind of also obvious. Like you want to work with someone who has to do what's in your best interest, right? Yeah, it seems pretty, pretty step one to me. Yeah, But exactly. it's not. But it's in this industry, it's just not. Yeah, yeah. It could, it could be suitable. I mean, it can be, and there's you know, the, and that's the difference. So I'm glad you brought yeah, that up. There's yeah, the suitability yeah. versus the fiduciary. Yep. Basically, just saying, hey, I've got so like for suitability only types of professionals, they could say, hey, there's three products that I could recommend to this person. Of the three, they're all technically suitable, but this yeah. one actually gets me a chance to win a free trip. So I'm going to pick this one. Yeah. Bingo. Perfect. Perfect example. Yeah. Perfect example. Where the fiduciary says, yeah. I have to pick the best one for them. Period. And it yep. has nothing to do with you know. If there's whatever. anything, yeah, whatever's yeah. in it for me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that's yeah. term number one. Volatility. Yeah. We've been seeing a lot of that this year. So uh, yeah, I, what do we got? I like, yeah, I like to think of it as kind of like your temper. 
You know, it, <laughs> okay. yeah, it, 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 it might explode and then it goes away. It's up and down and up and down and up and down. People don't like negative volatility because that means stuff is making you crazy because it's going down. But everybody likes positive volatility, but nobody calls it volatility. They just mm-hmm. say, oh, the market's going up. Right. But when it goes down, like it has the first quarter of this year, then it's, it's, like, it's really volatile. Yeah. yeah. But it's, you know, it got to the point that it was at to begin the, the year by having gone up a bunch, which was positive volatility. So it's just the up and down of all of this. And it's always, it's always this, you know, it, it, everybody reacts. Everybody pay, doesn't pay attention. I mean, nobody pays attention to the positive volatility. Everybody freaks out and have negative volatility. So it's just, I mean, I've always said, you're walking up the steps, you slip, you fall back a couple of steps. Well, first of all, it takes you longer to go up, slower than it does to slip back down. Mm-hmm. It's way quicker coming down, sure. which is vol- volatility. It's just, you know, it's going up and up and up. And that's, you know, ultimately that's what you have to think about. I, 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 that's the term, but all that, that makes sense to me. Yeah. I heard a, a, an interesting kind of a fun little way to think about, especially if you're a, if you're a dog owner, or if you're a fan of animals, uh, to think about volatility. So you're walking your dog on, on a path, right? Yeah. On, and you've got him on a leash, or him or her on a leash, and they, they stick right next to you. They pretty much walk in a straight line, right? But yeah. if you take them off the leash and you're still oh, on that path, yeah. they zigzag to this side of the track, to that yeah. side of yeah. the track, back and forth, yeah. back and forth, back and forth. Yeah. That's volatility. S- same kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Okay. I thought so. that was a cute way of looking at that. No, I do. Uh, all right. Woof. <laughs> risk, risk tolerance. Yeah. Uh, big buzzword term, <laughs> obviously, that goes uh, along with volatility. It does, but what everybody tries to do is measure your risk tolerance and then create a portfolio that matches your risk tolerance. First of all, and they ask you silly questions that have absolutely nothing to do with the amount of risk you're really willing to take. To me, it's a gigantic waste of time and it's monumentally misleading when people base their whole portfolio strategy on this. I have ne- It's never made any sense to me mm-hmm. since the beginning of all of this. I remember very early on taking a test from Fidelity. They had, I think, nine questions. And depending on how you answered all of the multiple choice questions, depending on how you answered all of the questions, it gave you a risk tolerance score. Mm -hmm. And then it was like, okay, great. The only two, and so I went through and I took the test over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, changing each answer one at a time, leaving all the rest the same. The only thing that mattered was how old are you, A, B, how close are you to retiring? Boom, Mm -hmm. that was it. Gotcha. And so to me, it's, it's one of the most overused, abused nonsensical things that are out there. And so many people just live and breathe that. I don't get it. Okay. All right. Well, and that's fair. There's nothing wrong with that, right? So it's <laughs> no. about it's about making the right strategy for the right person then uh, versus yeah. maybe some, you know, some of these kind of catch-alls. Yeah, can I plug it into a software program and gotcha. spit something out? Okay. All right, that makes sense. And we hear a lot of that term, so that's I'm glad we brought that up then. Uh dollar cost averaging is another one that we're hearing a lot recently yeah. as well. And it's been obviously been around, but just because of what's going oh, yeah. on. Yeah, I wrote an article three or four years ago for Kiplinger.com about dollar cost averaging. And the essence of the article was, in the beginning, it's very interesting because you put the same amount of money into an investment. Let's just call it a mutual fund. Mm -hmm. I'm going to put $100 a month in. The price is $10 a share. This month, it's $9 a share. Next month, so for the $100, I'll buy more. It's $12 the following month, so I will buy less. And over time, it makes a difference because you get an average of you know, a reasonable price or as you're doing this on a consistent basis. And that absolutely makes sense in the beginning. The longer you go, the less impact it has. Because think about it. If I've been investing for three years, I've made $3,600 worth of investments. That new $100 that goes in is just a drop in the big bucket. It's mm. irrelevant. Mm-hmm. But this is one of those terms that, oh, you got to do all the cash average into it. No, you don't. <laughs> um, it can it can help if you, especially in the beginning when you're starting out. But at some point, it's a. I mean, mathematically, it's irrelevant. 
So you, you got to think about stuff sometimes differently. And it doesn't mean it's a bad idea. It just means it's not, it's, it doesn't have to be there all the time. It doesn't matter. Right. Yeah. And so a lot of people, but we hear these big buzzy word terms, you know, oh, yeah. Charles, and, and you know, it sounds fancy. And it's like, well, are yeah. we doing that? You know, you kind of yeah. look at your spouse and you go, hey, are we dollar cost averaging? Or I don't know. Yeah. yeah. No, <laughs> so, in the beginning, in the beginning, really good idea. Yeah. Okay. Uh, one more, and then we'll move on to the, uh, okay. the housing issue here. Uh, asset sure. allocation. Yeah. Asset allocation is diversifying about with, you know, in the, in a range of the things that you own stocks, bonds, cash. Those are the big three. Real estate can count as a four. A mutual fund buying four different stock mutual funds isn't diversifying. It's just the same thing. You know, you can slice and dice those down further if you want to, but it's just don't put all your eggs in one basket. I mean, that's that's all that it is. And it can make sense depending on how, you know, you know, how you want to allocate things, mm -hmm. but you want to have some in everything because you never know which one's going to be the best. Right. So right. you want to spread it across. You want to diversify. That makes absolute sense. But there is no one and only right way to do this stuff. Talk to a guy yesterday. He said, I have, you know, several million dollars in, a, in municipal bonds. I said, okay, hmm, wow. you're fine. I get tax-free income. That's more than I can spend. I said, good for you. That's not diversification. That's not no, allocation. No. But, it, but he's fine. Who cares? But it's working, right? Yeah, and yeah. It, and that's the conversation that comes back to a lot of times. It's like, okay, yes, there's some generalities and there's some universal truths, but at yeah. the end of the day, you you know, every individual could have these one-offs, or there's different things that may work for some situations that don't for others. Yep. And that's where that's a strategy it. comes in place for the individual. And again, we talk a lot about that generality kind of stuff on the podcast because we're trying to we're speaking to a, a bit of a broader audience. But at the end of yeah. the day, you really got to do yourself the service of saying, okay, well, what's going to work for me? Because it's yeah. just like the conversation about having a million dollars or not having a million dollars as the total nest egg. Well, but if you've got rental properties and a pension yeah. and, and all this, yeah. social security, you know, you might not need to get to the million in order to have the nest egg that you would like. So exactly. Exactly. It's all it's subjective. All, it's all it's all subjective based on the individual, and it's all personal based on the individual. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's switch gears here and talk about these common housing questions for retirees. As I mentioned earlier, uh, the Fed is ticking up a little bit. They did the first one earlier this week at the time we're taping this. We're wrapping up here yeah. at the end of March uh, for our April shows. And, uh, you know, so like I said, they're going to possibly tick it up quite a bit more. So it starts to beg questions from people that go, hmm, I wonder if we should, you know, do yeah. anything while, you know, the rates are still low or whatever the case is. So on this episode, yeah. again, let's, let's talk a little bit about a couple of these things. Sure. Um, with them still being low, People start saying, "Well, is does it make sense to to pay off the house, or do I just make the you know the minimum payment because I've got a great low rate?" I guess it depends on whether you want to be house rich and cash poor. If that's the issue, um, I think it matters. If uh, is it the right house? Is it the one you want to retire in? Is it that? I mean, I don't you know lot lots of questions on it. Should I move? Should I downsize to a smaller I was going to ask you the follow-up yeah. to that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And to me, it's, is the house the right size for you? Is it two floors? Is it one floor? Is that going to make a difference to you? You know, what's the family history of Well, of my growing, knees might say. <laughs> well, my yeah. knees might say it makes a difference, right? Well, yeah, exactly. We yeah. sold it. When we moved here, we bought a one-story house just because it made more sense because it's, you know, the second story in Arizona is hotter than the bottom floor. Oh, well, yeah. So it's like, well, why do I want to do that? Yeah. So, you know, it's housing, housing is really interesting. Um, I mean, it's a huge part of our portfolio. It's a huge part of our assets. Yeah, so yeah, but you can't, you can't tear a shingle off a house 
and nope. go buy groceries. At the Can't grocery rip into the so wall and grab some ah, copper and take it with uh-huh. you. Yeah. No, that's that's going to cause another problem. Yeah. But uh, so you've got to it's got to fit in in an overall plan. And it you know this doesn't have to be complicated stuff. It just needs to be common sense approach to it. Have somebody ask you the right kinds of questions. If you're if you have a family history of probably ending up in a wheelchair, then maybe you want to remodel. Look for a house that's already been rebuilt or remodel, and maybe just make your doors wider. Yeah. So and the address wheelchair it. can get through. Yeah. You got to address stuff it. like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we get we get very focused on what's happening in the nows. The Fed's moving stuff, so should I do yeah. something? Oh, sure. Again, as humans, I feel like when something happens, we feel like we have to then take some sort of action. If we do nothing, then we're doing something wrong. Um, and so sometimes that's not yeah. always the case. But before no. you do anything, you should just you know check the information to make sure that the move that you do make is a is good right one for you. Yeah, yeah okay. absolutely. Uh, what yeah. about this whole conversation that people are having around the house of signing it over to a family member, you know, just to yeah. kind of, in case they're, you mentioned a health issue, a wheelchair or something, whatever, and you feel like you're going to, you know, maybe end up in some sort of care or whatever the case is, and you think, okay, I'm going to get out of my name. We think it's a terrible idea. If you're signing it over because you don't want to own it because you think you're going to end up in a nursing home and you don't have the financial wherewithal other than your house mm-hmm. to be able to pay for that kind of stuff because you're going to end up on Medicaid. We've talked about this before. You've got to do it five years before that happens to you. Otherwise, they're going to reclaim the house. That's yeah, if you get the really diagnosis, really the, yeah, and then sign the house over, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, they're going is And this is one of those really, really important cases where we need to talk about it yeah. because there's a bunch of stuff most people don't understand about titling of assets and what happens and what happens if you need mm. care and all of this stuff. It's, Great point. It's, it can be... It can be a really, really dicey situation to just make some good, you know, good, what you think are good choices and they may make sense, right. but they might be completely, you know, they could be illegal or they could just flat out be stupid. <laughs> right. Uh, right. And, with mean, what, <laughs> and with what you guys have done recently, this, this extra, uh, you know, kind of thing you've taken on with the elder care or the, uh, the Alzheimer's yeah. and things of that nature, that's typically where it comes into play a lot because Absolutely. we feel like a we got to sign it over because we're going to go into long-term care because we, you know. We've got dementia. We've been diagnosed with it, or whatever the case might be. Yeah, yeah. It's it's then it then it becomes really critical planning. Yeah, really and, critical and planning. Planning exactly. And let's be honest here, folks, for a second. You know your family. Know your kids, right? So if you're yeah. thinking about doing this, and you know, <laughs> let's you know, let's just be honest. If you know you've got a problem child, maybe that's not a good move either, right? Because I mean, now <laughs> what if you lost your house because God forbid they got into an accident? You know, oh, that or, happens. We've seen that happen. We've seen that happen. Yeah. Yeah. So, somebody's I put I put her on my checking account, my mm-hmm, daughter. Mm-hmm. And then and then mom crashes the liability insurance that mom has, doesn't cover all of the expenses. Mm. They come after the daughter. Yeah. Because she's on the checking account. Yeah. So it could go either way. Yeah. Yeah. No, most yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, so, just I really think that through. I mean, I I get it, but there's gotta be some other strategies. Definitely talk to uh, you know, a professional before you make any moves with that. It, even if nothing else, there's just that five-year look back. So, uh, yeah, and that's, that's pretty it, universal, that, right? Is that state by state, Charles, or is that federal? Uh, I, no, there's some other issues that are state by state, but that's pretty much that's everywhere. Okay, gotcha. Uh, one more here: the reverse mortgage yep. concept. You know, it's a lot of people. I hear more people talking about this, especially if you don't have heirs. You know, for or. Um, you know, you're not going to leave the house. To, there's no one for you to leave it to. Basically, they're like, "Hey, why not get the equity out of it and use it for myself?" Well, that's right. You've built the equity up over years. Sometimes people just think it's a terrible idea. And Mm -hmm. it used to be a terrible solution. It was really, really bad many years ago when it first came out. They changed it dramatically. They've they've improved the the product, I suppose, right? Yeah, totally. 
And again, it's one of those things that is most is it's misunderstood by the vast majority of people that we've ever had the conversation about with them. And if when they begin to understand it, then it's like, oh, okay, it makes sense. It might it might be good for you. Doesn't mean it always is, but it might be, and at least yeah. it's something worth considering. So, I mean, we're, we we believe it's a very very valuable tool when it's used properly, like everything else. And I've heard that they and maybe we should just do a show just on this one day, Charles, because there's more and more questions about this. But I've I've heard that they've made a lot of good changes to that recently. And again, we're not endorsing anything; we're just having a conversation yeah. about it. But oh yeah, they've made a lot of changes. Where I know people used to be afraid that obviously if the, when the first person died, they could take the house, or yeah, even when when both parents yeah. passed, they take the house. But yeah. the, the kids have the option to buy it back first, correct? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so it's if, not if, like, yeah. well, you died no, and yeah. your wife died, so that kids are out of you know out of the house type of thing. It's truly just freeing up the equity that you have, turning the equity from a an accounting number mm-hmm. into real real cash that you can use. Gotcha. Okay. And again, you want to learn the specifics, the ins and outs. So maybe we'll do a more you know in depth conversation podcast around that. But it's it, I guess the the framework of is it a bad idea? Not necessarily. Just no. like any financial product, is it a bad no. idea? Not necessarily. No. But just find out more about how it works and how it will work for you in your specific situation. So exactly. Okay. All right. Well, let's jump over, take an email and we'll wrap it up this week here on the podcast. A lot of good content this week. So folks, if you have enjoyed this, make sure you subscribe to us on whatever platform you like to use, Apple, Google, Spotify, Uh, maybe share that with someone who might benefit from the message as well. And I'll let them know you can find all the information at PelotonCapital.com. That's P-E-L-L-E-T-O-N Capital.com. You can shoot us an email. You can subscribe to us on the podcast. You can check out Charles's website. A lot of good tools, tips, and resources there to be found. All right. Uh, we've got uh, Tracy in the Phoenix area. She says, Charles, I tend to cry anytime I talk about money. Oh, <laughs> I don't really yeah. know why. That's just <laughs> always how I've been. I'm worried that I'm going to end up working till I'm 80, and I'm too scared to sit down and put the plan together for retirement because I just don't want to see, I guess, what it's going to be. So what do you do for head cases like me? (laughs) Poor thing. I get it. I have a book, Tracy, that I'm going to suggest you read. It's by a gentleman, a financial planner named George Kinder, K-I-N-D-E-R. It's sitting on my bookshelf in the office here. It's the seven stages of money maturity. And so much of the book is centered around how did your parents feel about money? How did parents treat money? How, what was your first experience of your parents talking about money? And that translates and transfers into you. And you've got to understand how it fits in an overall life cycle. And just because they might not have understood it, you might, or vice versa, they may have understood it, but you didn't pay any attention. I mean, it's just, it's a fascinating book. I think it will answer a lot of questions for you. And if you get it and read it and you still have questions, call me. But I think this will explain way more. It's 350 pages long. So it's a it's a big read. Yeah. Yeah. But it's way worth it. It's been around for years and years and years. Um, but I've never read anything that answers this kind of a concern and question yeah. um, better than this book. Well, so well Tracy, that do you, would be I was gonna ask her, do you avoid the dentist because you're afraid that, you know. Like what they're going to find. Or, a, you know, yeah, I'm going to have a cavity. You're going to have a cavity, right? So, yeah. I mean, yeah, you know, but, you know, you probably don't completely avoid the dentist because you want to make sure that you, you know, right. your teeth don't fall out, right? So, yeah. same kind of thing. I mean, I get it too. I'm with you. It's one, I mean, I talk about this stuff on every day, and sometimes it can still feel daunting to people, you know, who, who are even doing this. I mean, Charles has been doing this for many, many years, and I'm, he's always learning. So, you know, just sit down That's, with a professional and have a conversation. That's always learning is what makes it so much fun. Yeah. 
you know, and at the end of the day, I mean, if you think about, it, we all know this, and I get it's harder, you know, to put in practice, but it's like the longer you wait to do something, the just the less time you have to do it. So just bite the bullet, sit down, especially a lot of times yeah. when you can sit down with someone and it's complimentary. There's usually no cost or obligation to first talk with a professional. So just find out where you stand. And then if you got to make changes and it stinks, well, then you can get on it, right? Yeah, but then you, you know. Then you know. But you might find out, you're like, ha, wow, I'm better off than I yeah. thought. Yeah, and worry then you about won't have nothing. to cry, and then you won't have to cry. Hey, speaking of books, by the way, uh, yes, since you, when you said you've got a book, I thought you were going to mention <laughs> your actual book. I am. Okay, well, tell I me. I am. About it. It's the Arizona edition of Protecting Your Assets with Tax-Free Long-Term Care. Mm-hmm. I co-authored it with a gentleman named Don Quante, who's been in this industry for years and years and years. And we just got we just got the the first batch of books in the office. If you want one, give us a holler. We'll send you one. Nice. Um, and you know, it's just. It's a pretty quick read. It's got a lot of good information in it. Just it's not three hundred and fifty pages. <laughs> it is no, it's not. Uh, and there are no there are no quizzes you have to pass to be able to move to the next chapter. So okay. uh, yeah, it's just got a lot of good stuff. It and says we're, uh, we're, it was fun to do. Good. It says a consumer's real life hands on guide to a few things like creating tax free money for long term care, using your IRA for long term care, veterans benefits for long term care, yeah. Medicaid eligibility, and how to legally protect your assets. So a lot of good content in there. As Charles mentioned, if you'd like to get a copy of it, just reach out to him. Let them know. You can call them at four eight zero five one three eighteen thirty. Or just stop by the website, shoot them a message that way at PelotonCapital.com. Again, PelotonCapital.com. Charles is a fiduciary advisor at Peloton Capital Management, he and his lovely wife, Sherry. So thanks for hanging out, my friend. As always, I appreciate you. It's been fun. Thank you, Mark. Yeah, it's a good podcast. So folks, don't forget to subscribe and uh, whatever platform you like to use. And we'll see you next time right here on Financial Choices Matter with Charles Scott. Financial planning and investment advisory services are provided by Peloton Capital Management Limited, a state-registered investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. No one should assume the information presented here serves as a receipt of or substitute for personalized individual advice provided by Peloton Capital Management. For more information, visit www.pelotoncapital.com.